to be successful, you have to be conscientious first about either what the consumer segment you're targeting is experiencing and why they have a job to be done, as well as being conscientious about the emotional state and the need for reinforcement and the need for a sense of safety among the people in the company who are doing things differently. Because if they do things differently very well, they'll be developing ideas that they then have to go find a home for. Many organizations that are pursuing innovation can overlook what we call the human side of innovation when adopting new processes and goals to grow their company in new ways. There are a variety of human factors that can have a positive or a negative impact on the success of your efforts, such as what are the right kinds of people to lead or be part of an innovation team? What characteristics lend themselves to an innovation mindset within an incumbent? How can we understand the customer challenges we want to address? Identifying what some of these human issues are is what we want to discuss in today's podcast. We're the principles of IE Advisory, an innovation insurance consultant. I'm Paul Winston. I'm Wayne Allen. And I'm Guy Franklin. What about innovation is so different that it requires a focus on human nature, the, the so-called human side of innovation? Well, it's a great question. And as... <clears throat> We've seen recently, there's no shortage of articles uh, stating that the key to success in innovation is to have the best tech. And so let me finish that sentence by opening up this discussion about human nature. The best tech that's not adopted is a paperweight. So under, because innovation is about creating new things or entering new markets, or certainly internally asking people to do things differently. All of that represents a risk that the, and the first person who's going to feel that risk is the person tasked with doing it. And, and so that's not necessarily the case in day-to-day -day operations within a lot of big companies. And so to be successful, you have to be conscientious first about either what the consumer segment you're targeting is experiencing and why they have a job to be done, as well as being conscientious about the emotional state and the need for reinforcement and the need for a sense of safety among the people in the company who are doing things differently. Because if they do things differently very well, they'll be developing ideas that they then have to go find a home for. Or they'll need expertise from other business areas and uh, for a week or five days or two days, some developmental sprint. Well, you have to be sensitive to the fact that, you're, that everybody's running at full tilt and leadership has to protect the person who's out making those requests. Um, because they are trying to accomplish something tremendous. So that's 
that's what I mean. If you want to build something and have it adopted and make money at scale, enough to move the needle on an existing economic base, you have to understand uh, the human side of adopting whatever it is that you're presenting. Guy, I've heard you say that one of the best ways to not have culture get in the way of innovation is to move faster than the culture can say no to some of the new ways innovation is driving the company to get things done. So who in the organization is tasked with managing that human reaction to innovation while it's underway? Is it the innovation team or is this best left to senior management? Really to understand the dynamic, um, let's use, I'd like to use a bow and, a bow and arrow analogy. So when, uh, when companies task somebody to start going out and getting ideas, and that's literally how they're starting their innovation process is to, um, even if it's pre-assigned some target technology, but they've missed a key step. And so that is akin to asking someone to go up, take an arrow in their hand and throw it as hard as they can against the tree and make sure it sticks. It's quick to release something's been done, people feel better. Understanding the human nature side of this means is very analogous to um, very slowly pulling the bow back on a very strong compound bow. And it's a slow motion back. And what I mean by that is companies who take the time to set up what we call boundaries or constraints that innovation work must operate within and all of corporate leadership understands those constraints. Now that creates an operating space to maneuver in without constantly having to ask for permission. Those boundaries, those constraints create permissions, and third rails. Now an innovation team can go pursue ideas, develop those ideas very rapidly, deploy those out into the marketplace or encourage internal adoption faster than the culture can say no to because there's no going back and asking for permission until the very end, until you, you need real money to uh, go to market. And, then, and so you have this you take the time up front to go through these steps, creating a mandate for innovation with the C-suite, and then setting up these boundaries, choosing an area of focus, but systematically choosing boundaries, because so many technologies can do so many things. You have to have some focus. And then that's where the bows pulled back all the way. And then you tell the innovation team, okay, now you understand the rules of the road. You understand we've all agreed on this focus point. We will protect you when you irritate people around the company. Boom. And you've released the string. Now that arrow is going to fly a lot faster, a lot straighter, and a lot farther. And there's really nothing that's going to catch up to it. And it's going to hit a target, and it's probably a target you want. So that's how important it is to go through those steps up front. It is to, because that 
is a human nature exercise and step. Not only for corporate leadership, but for the people tasked with executing on innovation. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense, Guy. In fact, uh, I'm thinking of an example um, that you and I, that you and I, Paul, have talked about on a number of occasions uh, that kind of highlights where companies moved off into an innovation um, uh, effort without any emphasis or any application toward the human side of innovation. And, uh, you know, it, it had to do with uh, whether or not people actually wanted their insurance companies in their home. Oh, <laughs> yes. But, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Wayne. It's kind of a poster child for understanding the human nature side of both doing the doing and adopting, right? CS, a large, relatively large PNC company that provided homeowners insurance had a phenomenal retention rate. I think it was 98.2 or 98.5. So what is a natural assumption of an incumbent company that has that kind of customer loyalty? Answer, they love us. Question, how else do we exploit that? What is something that's adjacent to insurance that we could do? I know, let's build a home monitoring and alarm system. Now this is before Nest, before Ring. I mean, there's an opportunity here to do something really cutting edge. So a couple of million dollars later, in budget, they've gone out, purchased all this stuff off the shelf, stitched together a whole system that's modular, so customers can pick which parts they want, which they don't. And according to their very competent consumer research division, all signs are go. Well, that's when I got called in. We got called in. Was to was to kind of assess the work, which are two years into it at this point. Assess the work before they doubled their spend, designing, packaging, and uh, engineering design. And I'm going through all the documents, and I said, "Well, where's your customer feedback? I mean, you've got a prototype, you've got a minimally working version." Who have you showed this to? Oh, we didn't want to do that. Well, that's what we have to do. Before you write a check, that's what we have to do. After the first focus group totally rejected the idea, I mean ferociously rejected the idea and ended with, but we love you as our insurer, at another two focus groups. And the answer was universal. Just because we love you as your homeowners insurer doesn't mean we want you in our bedroom 24-7. Well, so there's a key assumption that was missed that was very much about human nature, about trust. And what makes entrepreneurs of new things work well when they go show them to people. They don't have a consumer division. So there's... If you find yourself moving forward from within a company on any aspect of innovation, particularly some new market, 
and you notice you've got a critical dependency that's based on old facts not gathered firsthand or based on an organizational assumption, chances are more times than not, that is going to rear its ugly head and bite you at the wrong, exactly wrong time. Now let's go back to the homeowner's example for a second. Here's the, here's the good side of understanding human nature. How do you think the team felt who spent two years building this out, believing it was going to all prepared in their minds for what was going to be a massive success. They were devastated and took it personally, right? I mean, they were worried that they were accountable for not going out early on and talking to customers. Well, you can't hold somebody accountable for something you don't know you should do. And so to the credit of this PNC insurer, a couple of the people on the team were promoted uh, and the rest were adopted, if you will, by the innovation practice, where they could go on and continue using that experience to coach and guide and develop other ideas. Not one person experienced a negative consequence as a result of essentially what, not wasting two years, because they learned a lot, but two years in development, two and a half, three million dollars spent all came to a grinding halt. The company had the wherewithal to say, hey, at least we didn't spend the next five. I'd call this a success. That's understanding human nature in protecting your innovation people. What's the, what's the prototype for a innovation team member that is sensitive to the, to the human nature aspects of innovation and, the, uh, and, and how to maneuver within the existing culture? We always say, you know, that what makes innovation management different than digital transformation or other change management efforts is that you can, and not only can, but probably should, start small and scale slightly over time with an innovation team. My experience has been that if you have Minimum of two, ideally three, and I'll explain that dynamic. Uh, people on the leadership team for innovation, you're going to experience, uh, along with gender diversity among the three, uh, you know, you've done everything you can to start right. And so you asked about hallmarks and, and indicators again, this is just based on my experience, you, you want one person who is everybody's best friend at a cocktail party, an evangelist, a storyteller, um, dynamic, good at crafting stories. Uh, and I don't have to go as far as a stand-up comic, but they're very effective at selling ideas. Now, they, that person could be an organizational train wreck. And usually those types of entrepreneurs are organizational train wrecks, which brings us to item number two. You want somebody who will counter that and keep the team on track. Somebody who's very diligent about making sure procurement agreements are completed, who makes sure NDAs are in place, 
Um, and third, you would like, ideally, you'll have a team member who absolutely does not leave their world as a consumer when they walk in the door of their job. Somebody who's, uh, who has a high degree of emotional intelligence and will see the world through the lens of potential adopters. Now, those could be adopters inside the company or adopters out in the marketplace. But you, you, you need an, a dynamic, inspirational storyteller. You need an obsessive, compulsive, organizational genius or very strong uh, capability. And then you need someone to break the ties between the, you know, between the two. You need someone who is, a, who is absolutely a people person beyond the superficial level. Does that answer your question? It does, but, but so in that context, Guy, um, is it ever a good idea to hire an outside so that, you know, is it ever a good idea for all three of those people in your example to be outsiders? Is it oh, better hell. for them all to be insiders or a mix or what's the, what's the formula? In terms of outsiders, uh, I want to be as clear as I can here. Oh, hell no. Um, you've got to have one or two of the, the team members clearly exp be experienced and understand the culture inside the company have will have the relationships will knows how to maneuver around you know all direct line reporting relationships knows what the lines are for forgiveness instead of permission and then somebody from the outside and i'll go as far as to say if they are really experienced in the world of design or capability development or management of some sort of innovation, um, it could be an electronics company, a finance company, um, then they have to be given an equal vote. That's the tough one because they probably have the most experience at pushing um, uncharacteristically novel ideas through the myriad of uh, relationships inside a larger company uh, or not. I mean, it could be, you know, CEO or some executive team leader from uh, a startup. What I'm hearing is that in our experience, it's got to be predominantly insiders. Um, who are sensitive enough to, to you know, the kind of organizational realities to be to be nimble, uh, and then there's a decision to make whether or not you want all of the team members to be insiders, or whether or not you're going to have at least one uh, voice from outside, just to be an outside voice, uh, as long as they have the experience to to kind of be additive to the process. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So, and and to be more specific, I talk about this evangelist inspirational lead that goes around sells ideas and recruits people into short short-term engagements to help develop ideas that 
absolutely should be a person from within the company who has the relationships. A big part of the job of, say, two of these team members who are from inside the company with the third is to make sure that that voice of, of the third person who came in from the outside is taken seriously and fully supported, fully backed, vouched for, that uh, people don't discount to the degree that they can do this. Uh, people won't discount what that person is saying or recommending because, oh, they don't understand us, they don't understand the insurance industry, they don't know how things work around here, which is kind of the whole point. Maybe it's the way things work around here that needs changing. Um, so that's, um, you know, the, the, that's how I would break that down. So, Guy, last time we talked about that innovation strategy has to be set by the CEO or the, the C-suite. And, you know, given that, how does the CEO or the senior executive that, that uh, sets strategy, how do they communicate? How do they work with? How do they support the innovation team through this, this human connection network that I think we're describing to be a, you know, for there to be an effective innovation effort? Great question. And, and so this goes back to my uh, pulling the string back on a bow very slowly. Regardless of who's on the corporate leadership team that comes up and makes the decision and gets sign-off on some form of standing innovation team or practice, the most important thing that they can do to support that team is to, again, go through this constraint discussion, go through this boundary setting experience so that they're not constantly having to defend their innovation reports to their peers. Because eventually the whole peer group wins. So getting them on board first, early on, not before you select the people who are going to do the doing, but very early in the process, after you decide what your goals are, the entire executive team need, should be together for a few hours um, in, or, in order to create these rules of the road, these constraints by which innovation can thrive. In doing so, from the rest of the process moving forward, permissions do not have to come back there's not, the innovation team does not represent a negative impact on maybes or undeveloped ideas or crazy ideas uh, by constantly taking them to the corporate leadership team. That's the busiest team in the company. Their capacity is already at its limits. You go through this boundary constraint setting maybe once a year, and then you just let your team loose and go with the trust and faith everybody understands. Now, you've got the rest of corporate leadership also protecting them to their direct reports because they help build the process. Um, and so that's one, that's one way. Another very important way to protect and support an innovation team, 
you know, maybe they report to somebody in the C-suite or maybe there is a head of strategy that could also take on innovation or you have the structure, but eventually you want the structure where you have one person and three team leads and I already described those roles, kind of reporting to that person. Let me tell you, in all sincerity, um, where in a, who innovation teams should not report to, and that's the CEO. Uh, one, that can become a calendar logjam, a capacity issue. It raises the perception of risk, which raises the need for permissions, which slows the pace down, which kills ideas. Um, I've actually had uh, one of the best experiences when an innovation team reported to the chief general counsel. Um, we'll do some other broadcast about the importance of corporate law. Um, and I've had where they reported to product lines. I would say reporting to a chief technology officer, or chief information officer will work. It's the, um, it, it would be my last choice uh, simply because there's already too much focus and in innovation on technology. And so you, you need the right partnerships early on. That would be corporate law and HR. And then have it report to someone in the C-suite or right below the C-suite uh, from one of the business divisions. Chief financial officer is great uh, or treasurer and someone below the chief financial officer. Uh, yeah, I'll stop there. In talking with you, Guy, about having the right people for innovation, you've contrasted an entrepreneurial versus an entrepreneurial mindset. What, what does that mean? Uh, well, that's really, I mean, that's a great question. And we'll touch on this, um, but it may very well lead to a, a whole other podcast. Within corporations, people who behave entrepreneurially um, are called entrepreneurs. And one of the key reasons, key distinctions between a true entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is that the entrepreneur has very little to lose and likewise very little to gain. Unless a company goes out and builds an entire new job description, incentive package, et cetera, for one person, which they generally just avoid, uh, then there's no real need for a safety net, nor is there uh, entrepreneurial high uh, economic benefits at the, at the end of the project. Other one, other uh, is they will rely on relationships within the company when there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, particularly in a strategy division or or consumer research division, and they generally don't want to go out too early and show people what they're thinking about doing. An entrepreneur, true entrepreneur, um, which could easily apply to two or three people leading innovation have a mindset with there is a great deal to lose and companies very much need to consider creating an incentive system so that there is a tremendous amount to be gained the whole concept of risk and reward both get amped up uh, in with entrepreneurs 
Now, I'm not talking about, you know, $5 million buyouts or things like that, but um, less of a safety net on the front end and more of an economic bonus uh, emphasis on at the end of the year. Um, and the, and then permission, again, this gets back to the boundaries, they have permission to take a prototype of some product or service or what have you out on the into the cafeteria or out on the street to a coffee shop or have friends over at their house and say, oh, by the way, and don't be afraid to show people things and get their reaction as potential adopters or users. And maybe it's an internal service inside the company. Well, have a lunch and learn or breakfast offsite someplace close. Act like an intra, a, a true uh, entrepreneur. So those are the big distinctions. That's fantastic, Guy. Um, well, we're, we are out of time, and I want to thank you both, Wayne and Guy, and also thank you for joining us for today's podcast in the audience. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, or if you have suggested topics for us to cover in, an, uh, in a future podcast, please let us know at ieadvisory.com or by emailing us at info at innovatorsedge.io. Thank you.